was wide open, and three, the Republican base was completely demoralized after the 2012 race, a race they thought we should have won against uh, Barack Obama, and a real sense of despair about the party, about the country, and that he could just tap into this, to this anger, this rage, not only anger and rage of Barack Obama, but anger and rage of Mitch McConnell and John Boehner. And so he's basically spent his you know, last three years in the U.S. Senate organizing his whole political career around the man who's going to stop the Republican establishment it is, as it is defined. And there's resonance for that in a number of these primary and caucus states. Uh, Al, let me go back to the Democratic race for a second. Uh, Bernie Sanders, how did he do it? The younger voters, including younger women, uh, he had probably more enthusiasm, certainly than Hillary Clinton. She may have had a slightly better organization. Uh, and uh, it, it was, um, they didn't have the kind of turnout that Barack Obama had in 2008, but they had a very good turnout, maybe 185,000, 190,000. Uh, and uh, I think that, uh, that clearly helped Sanders, because it really was a tie. Let me just say one thing about Trump, going to Robert's point. All the polls in the last week showed Trump winning. Trump himself declared yesterday he was going to win. So Paper Tiger might be an exaggeration, but certainly the onus is on him to hold that lead in New Hampshire, or otherwise he will be a Paper Tiger. Uh, what will this do to the Trump candidacy, Robert? Well, I, I think he's probably going to have to learn a lesson. And it was interesting listening to Trump's, uh, well, you can't call it a victory speech, <laughs> not quite a concession speech. But it was, you know, it was fairly humble. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't hear a lot of the bravado we, we ordinarily hear from Trump. And they're going to have to learn about the, you know, the necessity of a, uh, a well-organized um, campaign. Uh, there was a lot of talk here in Iowa that uh, the, uh, the organization run in, by his state director, Chuck Laudner, was a little bit slipshod, uh, certainly in fear to Ted Cruz's. We really had a remarkable organization here with tons of volunteers. Having said all of that, again, I, this is a guy who has run a very, very unconventional campaign. And uh, yes, it's true that the polls had showed him way ahead. It's also true, though, that there were a lot of you know, theories positing that, uh, that Trump would get very, very few people coming out owing to uh, you know, what seemed to be a paper-thin organizational structure. And in fact, a lot of people did come out. Now, I, I think that you know, a lot of plaudits should go to the Cruz campaign, I think as well the Rubio campaign, because they finished very, very strong. Uh, and, uh, you know, Trump is going to have to take note of all of this as he goes forward, but he goes forward from a state that was not naturally fit for him the way it was for Ted Cruz and into a state that clearly has been intrigued, has been intrigued with, uh, with Trump for some time, where he has maintained a double-digit lead for months and months. Is John Dickerson available? I can't... Okay. Here's the question that interests me about Iowa. It was saying this might be a transformative election. An outsider could come in, as Donald Trump was, as Bernie Sanders was, even though he'd been in the Senate you know, for 20-some years. Yeah. Uh, but he ran a campaign to, of change, mm -hmm. a political revolution, he said. Did Iowa say anything about that idea, that in 2016, uh, what voters want is something dramatically different? Well, I, I think that even though Trump underperformed the polls, it's still no small feat what he accomplished. I mean, he came in second in a state. If you were to look at the, the, a, a, caucus, a state, a demographic, that one would think before we entered into this race would, could be a worse fit for Donald Trump, one would say it's the Iowa caucus. He, he performed there. I mean, he did well. He came, in, he came in a strong second. I think the revolution, if you will, the, what's really exciting is you have these two young senators, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, 
Cuban Americans, you know, both of them in their mid 40s, both of them early in their political careers, at least as far as Washington standards are concerned. Both are offering a very different vision for the country and the future of the Republican Party, but are both much more about tomorrow than about yesterday. And I think what, what Cruz and Rubio have heading into the next few states is potentially eclipsing all these governors who've been running on these records. You look at a lot of the advertising campaigns of some of the governors that were running and some of the gotten out. These, camp, these ads look like they're running for re-election as governor. They're running on the records. They're, they're very much about yesterday. And you have these two young guys about tomorrow. I think that's one of the themes coming out of tonight. Yeah. Another theme from, from um, <clears throat> Marco Rubio is generational. Right. He'll make that generation. If he gets the nomination, he'll make that his uh, election mantra. Right. No, no. That, this is this is his. You know, one of the central theories of his of his candidacy. The central, you know, the rationale. The country. These elections are always about tomorrow. They're not about yesterday. And the perfect contrast to Hillary Clinton.